Welcome to Page Break. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Madison. And we are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I had a few margaritas before now. Mm-hmm. But it's Mad- okay. I, I mean, honestly, to get through Ouija 2, I need margaritas. Like, Matt, to get through the fucking work week, you need margaritas. <laughs> like, yeah, not, I need one too. Not to perpetuate mommy drinking, <laughs> but to get through the work week, I need I need something. I mean, well, okay, that being said, I do not have kids, but... You don't. You have Pam and, and Luna. Uh, but I, I mean, I can speak for myself as part of the... The new struggle of post-COVID existence is actually having a job again mm-hmm. and trying to coordinate that into just your normal everyday life and like the weird stressors of still living in COVID land, but also having a job. Um, so there has been a significant amount of night drinking just to ease, ease the anxieties of everyday life. Um, can't say it's for the healthiest, but it gets you through. I mean, we're all human something wrong with that i mean Um, is there anything healthy about capitalism no (laughs) we all have our coping mechanisms (laughs) (laughs) yes and and most americans coping mechanisms is to buy buy things and vote republican that is the coping mechanism of this country and it (laughs) has put us where we are which is a great spot I mean, that was the topic of conversation at my margarita drinking, which probably explains why I had a double. I can imagine. No, trust me. I've been, you know what I did learn, Matt, is we're talking about horror movies. Uh, I learned about myself that I am not a good, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that is like, I'm feeling bad, so I'll drink and feel better. Oh, yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't happen because when the first debate happened with Trump and Biden, me and Kristen got like 10 minutes into it. I'm like, fuck this. I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. And I knocked back like five beers trying to watch that. And I just got more angry. Yeah. I didn't feel better. I just got angrier and it just wasn't good. So like last night I didn't, I watched the debate. I did not drink a drop. I felt much better about it. The debate wasn't as crazy, but I, I it was, I, I just felt better. Yeah. See my coping mechanism is not alcohol. It's the internet. That's your coping mechanism. Yeah. So, and I that gives me half my anxiety. So, not to like treat y'all like my therapist or anything, but like, (laughs) like how how a lot of people like get invested in stuff. I just completely avoid it. So, like, I can feel those emotions that cause people to drink or cause people to get angry. But as soon as I start feeling those things, like, I just distract myself. That's uh, frankly. it's, that's sound- it's healthy but also unhealthy because I never deal with anything. As I was about to say, I was like, that is a coping me- that is not the worst coping mechanism in the world. That's actually a pretty like progressive, like like a good, like good one for your mental psyche. But in yeah, fairness, it's it also a coping up. mechanism. Yeah, over time, I'm sure up. that you need a steam filter to just blow that out of. Um Well, I impressed my therapist the first week of therapy because <laughs> I yeah. Uh, she was like, Okay, so you see you're super self-aware. <laughs> Like, how do you see that as like a, like a positive aspect since you're focusing on the negatives? And I sent her like this paragraph in depth uh-huh. description about my own psyche and how it yeah. meant, like how it's a positive thing. And she wrote back, wow, that's impressive. Like, I'm surprised. And I was like, okay, the teacher's petting me. It's smug 
AF right now. I was about to say, Mads, you're really doing that thing where you're trying to win therapy. Oh, like, yeah. You just I'm want like, the okay. gold star in therapy. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what does that say about me that I am uh-huh. treating my therapist like a teacher? Right. It's like, or as yes. an authority figure that you want to yeah. please and want like, like treats of like, you did good. Here's, oh, a, here's Yeah. Or at least that like, I get so much validation from being like, mm-hmm. good job. I'm like, okay, clearly I need therapy for this as well. <laughs> clearly this stranger who I've never spoken to before telling me I'm doing a good job uh-huh. is affecting me in oh, a way yeah. that. I mean, honestly, that's... that, that sustained me for another six months. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like I'm I don't need therapy anymore. I yeah. I got you said I'm doing a good job. I don't need this. So uh goodbye. Mm-hmm. Speaking of therapy, I needed therapy after watching this movie. Mad you're killing it with the with the the, the segues today. You're really like these are excellent. <laughs> it's because it's the freaking truth. How do you watch Ouija the Origin of Evil and not want to pee your pants? Want to hear something cool? Sure. Do you know what it feels like to be strangled to death? First, you feel the pressure in your throat. Your eyes water. And you start to taste something very, very sour in your mouth. Then, it's like someone lights a match right in the middle of your chest. And that fire grows. It fills your lungs and your throat, and all the way behind your eyes. And finally, that fire turns to ice. Like pins and needles of ice are sticking into your fingers, your toes, your arms. You see stars, then darkness. And the last thing you feel is cold. See, here's the fascinating thing, is that like, not only had I never seen this movie, I who is the the a Flanistan, Flanistan okay. Mike Flan, Flanistan, I I am one of them. Hardcore. Me too. Me too. Exactly. Now I did not right. realize I was until now. See, that's the thing. You realize after a few things, you're just like, wait, I, I watched that. I've seen that. I've seen that yeah. Mike Flanagan thing. Well, now and eventually, that I, you're just, now that I know it, I'm like, oh yeah. That's that why fucking I like guy. It. But he's that's the, why I'm, he's the common denominator. Exact precisely. Yeah. And like so so not only is it weird that I had never seen this movie, you also picked this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie and it it it's a movie that particularly scares you, which I find fascinating. It because, does not matter how many times I watch it, I'm terrified every time. See, that is interesting cuz it's like Every time. What's funny about this movie is that it is it's it's a it's not a sequel really. It's a prequel to a bad movie. Which makes um, it a movie of itself. Precisely. In, in, the, of itself. the other movie may not even fucking exist. We can yeah, ignore the fact that Ouija by itself doesn't even isn't even a thing. Doesn't even but matter. Like, what's amazing about this movie is if we're talking about taking something that doesn't and, and we talk about rewriting in general, just as a general concept, is always taking something that's bad, which could be a first draft, it could be a bad movie, it could be a bad cut, it could be bad anything. And finding the good and refitting it from there. And this is the best example I've seen in a long fucking time of that because the original Ouija movie is not good, but made money. Did you so watch like, it? Oh, I have not seen it. I've seen okay. bits of it and none of it looks good. And I no. really just don't feel like wasting my time. Uh, but like, okay, it, to be fair, it is worth a watch if you like Ouija too, but it's not good. Okay. Okay. Well now you're fine. I okay. do. Uh, if you like houses, October fucking bill, you could watch this. Mads, 
I think you're grossly over-exaggerating my enjoyment of the House's October Bills. Okay, okay, but my point is, if you can make it through that, you should definitely watch it, just because it's still the same story. Right. It's just not as good. Right. I do like the lead actress in Ouija, the original Ouija. I forget that actress's name, but I think she's always good in everything she does. Um, But the thing about Ouija Origin of Evil is that basically they came to Mike Flanagan. I was like, hey, man, what would you do with this? And instead of just jumping off what that first movie did or trying to make a sequel or doing whatever, not only does he make it a prequel, not only does he set it in the 70s, not only does he use the filming techniques of the 70s to where there's even, did you notice this? There are cigarette burns in the corners of the, of the, of the, of the screen. Uh, Erica noticed that. I did yes. not. Okay, I'm, right. a, I'm, I'm a freaking film major and I didn't notice it. I was just like, woohoo, I'm watching the movie. And Erica's over here like, what is that flickering like on the... Yeah. Honestly, okay, so she was supposed to be our guest this week. Yes, Erica was supposed to be a guest this week, but the, she is out of town on business, so yes. we were making do with just me and Mads, which, you know, it's, it, it's you fucking love it. You've had 20 episodes of this, so enjoy yourselves. Tried but, and true. But Erica tried and was, true. That was one of her main points. Um, was the cinematography and the style mm-hmm. of filming. Right. Um, as she pointed out the, I did, is it cigarette burns? So colloquially they're referred to as cigarette burns. There's a big part okay. in, in, in fight club where they point that out where it said, so basically, do you know why that those things are there? Okay. So, so back in the day when film was projected on film, it wasn't the whole movie wasn't on one string of film it was on reels so that's why right. when everybody says like first reel second reel that's what they're talking about yeah. and the cigarette burns were at the end in the beginning of each reel so the projectionist would know when to switch the we, the, the the reels um glory bastards kind of shows this process like you just have you have two projectors and you switch them Right at the right moment, and that's why you need a good projector because a good a good projectionist because a good projectionist knows I need to switch it right here, and then there's the seamless flow, and nobody's the wiser. How did I get a film degree without knowing this? I mean, in fairness, by the time we came along, this process was already archaic. I mean, okay, the, but the amount of archaic crap that I know <laughs> from my degree that I don't need to know, like they cherry picked. I mean, I took a fucking film history class. I think we no, we both took a film history class, and they didn't teach us about any of this garbage. Yeah, I know. All, all I remember of that class was watching the. I remember watching Cinema Paradiso for the first time, which made me fucking cry. Uh, and also, you remember that there's that um, who made it? Was it Dolly? Who made the movie with the the straight razor and the cow eye? Do you remember that? Okay, so there's the, there's a we movie took that, different film history. Classes. No, we did not. We took the same film history class. With who? Weren't, weren't we? Am I crazy? I thought we took the same film history. Okay, never mind. So, so there's a movie <laughs> talking about things that'll fuck you up, like long term, because that is when it comes to Mike Flanagan. That's kind of where his bread and butter is. It but there's there, a. I'm sorry. Was there a film history class with Cornhauser that you and I both took? Was it? She never. She never. I don't think it was Cornhauser. It was some. It was another but lady. It was, she she did show us a like a, a, as my dad would say, a cowboy picture. She, she showed us a western that she you were also in that class i think did she, i wonder if she shows the searchers i don't remember what she shows but no so this movie was made by salvador, high salvador noon. Do- high, oh i fucking love high noon yeah um but yeah it was a salvador dolly movie it was all black and white it's all surrealist and and dada i think basically oh, no but, i, n- I never there's saw a, that there's, there's this very famous cut where you have a man with a woman like like framed up on camera holding a straight razor to her eye and as he pulls across the straight razor 
Um, it's pulsar straight razor. You cut to a shot of the moon with a cloud cutting across the moon, like it's bisecting the moon. And then you cut back to what was there before. And now the woman's is gone, but it's a cow's eye and the straight razor slices through the cow's eye and just all the, the eye pus comes out. It's, it's the shows the power of a good cut and the power of like, just like the cross cutting and how you can effectively do that without actually doing slash showing anything. It's a brilliant example and it's fucked up. Um, every once in a while it pops up on Twitter and I'm just like, Oh God. Oh, that's right. That that's, that was always fucked up. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I never saw that. It does sound familiar, but whose class was that? I don't remember. It was some rando that I took a film history class on. It was a bad class, to be honest. But so, but when it, com- when it comes to, um, I don't know how the fuck we got on that topic. But uh, segueing back to Mike Flanagan, the thing about Mike Flanagan oh, the is- the cigarette burns. Cigarette burns, thank you. So, so yeah, so Mike Flanagan took the time to put fake cigarette burns into the corner of his movie to give it the aesthetic feel of being in the 1970s. Um, so, but- Erica called it flares. Flares, great. I don't know what the technical term is. There, cigarette burns are the colloquial term. I don't remember what the actual term is. Um, but so here's the thing about this this filmmaker, and and you guys at home may not know his name, but you've definitely seen his shit. He is the creator of Hill House. He's the creator of Blind Manor. He's not the of the source material, but of the shows on Netflix. He has directed Oculus, Hush, um, Ouija: Origin of Evil. The Incredible Doctor Sleep, uh, Gerald. I still need Gang. to watch that and that. You d- you definitely need to watch, but you've seen The Shining, correct? Yes. Okay, if you've seen The Shining. You watch Doctor Sleep because um, it I, is a. What? I, that will be next, but Gerald's <laughs> game. I'm terrified to watch. Gerald, dude. Gerald's. Here's the thing about Gerald's game. I'm scared because this is basically becoming. This episode is just going to be us gushing over Mike Flanagan and basically that's what we G2 is. He deserves it. Um, but here's the thing about Gerald's game. Gerald's game, you know the basic premise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like a man and his wife go to a hideaway in the country to like reinvigorate their relationship and they get into kinky sex stuff and he ends up handcuffing her to a bed and then having a heart attack. So she's handcuffed to this bed and unable to get away. Now, that that's, is why that's why you use Velcro. That's why you use Velcro. That's why you don't handcuff them to where they a can't get to the key or b can't get their fucking arms around each other it was just nobody did any reading there's there are definitely pamphlets on how to do bdsm better but they did not do any of the fucking reading but yeah so this is based on a stephen king novel that is basically unfucking filmable it's just a woman in a bed for like 600 pages dealing with shit and somehow flanagan was able to make this not only compelling but fucking thrilling and here's the thing about flanagan and I don't think it happens in Ouija Origin of Evil, but it definitely happens in Doctor Sleep. He's got a thing about like people's hands and the skin pulled off of it. Like people getting their hand caught in things and the skin kind of coming off and you seeing the, the gore and shit under it. He's got a hand thing. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't have know not why. seen that yet. Okay, then, then wait for Gerald's game in Doctor Sleep because he does a one-two punch there. But Doctor Sleep is another fucking thing where it's like, it's a sequel to The Shining that is a sequel not only to the movie the the kubrick movie but it's also a sequel to the fucking book which if you know the lore of the shining they are very different in a lot of ways and somehow some fucking way he manages to mesh them in a way that is harmonious and beautiful and very heartfelt um yes you know what's funny about the shining is i know the differences only because i did not like the movie (laughs) i didn't like the movie the first time i watched it either i didn't like it i was like 
I was along for the ride and I see why <laughs> I was along for the ride and I see why it's a classic. But I got right. to the end and my parents were like, Isn't it awesome? And I was like, I freaking hate it. Well the funny thing about the shining for me is like I, I like, so I don't I was just let down. It's weird. It it requires multiple viewings. So frankly. I so I looked it up and read the Wikipedia and like once mm-hmm. I got into it, I was like Okay, now I see. Now you get, yeah. Because the, I... It, it took that. Right. Well, The Shining was the first Stephen King I ever read. And I mostly read it to conquer my fear because I'd always been afraid of scary movies, scary books. Uh, Stephen King particularly was always this kind of thing that hung over me. And I was like, I was always scared. It's like, I gotta fucking do this. So I read The Shining. The Shining book fucked me up. There are parts in The Shining book that are more terrifying than anything that Kubrick ever does. Um, like the whole, the whole scene with Danny and the woman in the bathtub oh, yeah. uh, is, is cripplingly terrifying in the book. I want to read it because they kind of glossed over it in the movie. The movie, the movie's trying to do different shit. It's not trying, like the, the book is about, um, about it's, it's about uh, um, King's own alcoholism. And like, it's just all baked into that kind of very central character idea. And it basically allows for Jack Torrance to go from a good man into a monster. Kubrick gave zero fucks about that. He just wanted to settle you into dread um, and just Mm -hmm. paint this very horrific picture, which he does brilliantly. But what Flanagan is able to do is mesh those two ideals together by using the imagery of Kubrick and using Stephen King's character instincts and melding them together to create something that is very very heartfelt because the one thing you can say about the shining movie you can never say that uh, it's emotional it's not it, it 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 does what we talked about earlier which is it creates images that stick in your brain like fucking glue uh, like i would argue that it tries very hard to not be emotional i it, it actually aggressively to the point does. where like yeah like you, obviously you feel things from seeing it but as far as like Right. creating imagery and or dialogue or plot to create emotion mm-hmm. not so much just because it, it relies on like reaction you're not meant to feel like you're not supposed right. to empathize with jack torrance exactly so like i could see how it could be almost the antithesis of that you're very much a voyeur watching the shining mm-hmm. movie you're yeah. outside you're watching this thing happen but it, 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 it is from the opening of the movie where it has like that those that helicopter shot over the mountains. And it's like wah, 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 wah. when it does that, you know that something bad's coming. Like it, it kind of settles you into a dread, almost similarly to I'd almost say it's almost like a hereditary, where like it, like you know bad shit's coming and you can't do anything about it and you're stuck in it, um, which is kind of the power of what Kubrick is able to do. Can I but, just say that I love us because we're talking about Ouija 2 and we have talked about The Shining for approximately five minutes. Madison, I can talk about The Shining <laughs> for five fucking years. It is probably my favorite movie of all time. But I know. I'm surprised you haven't cho- chosen it yet. Well, because here's the thing. The script isn't a whole lot to talk about. Yeah. It's I, more, mean, I, wouldn't, I would never talk fair, about it. I never read the scripts. <laughs> I know you don't. But, like, but just in general, I would never talk about the script of The Shining because the script of The Shining is kind of incidental. Yeah. What's more important is the performances. What's more important is, is Kubrick's filmmaking. I would talk about the script for Dr. Sleep all day long because of how it comments on The Shining. But, it, but yeah. here's the so here's the thing about Flanagan, and we're talking about him in like comparison to Stanley Kubrick, which you have to have that comparison because he made a sequel to The Fucking Shining using the same imagery, which is a tall fucking task. Yeah, we're talking about Ouija, but you have to talk about where he goes because the Ouija, I would contend, is where he starts down his path of who he is today. Because which is a strong start. 
It is. Because, because here's the thing. Flanagan, in my opinion. I, I agree entirely. But Flanagan, what Flanagan does best that nobody else really does is he creates empathetic horror. He use, His movies are not always scary. The Ouija is. Ouija Origin Evil is scary. But I would terrifying. argue I would argue wholeheartedly that Doctor Sleep is not scary. I would argue more recently that Bly Manor is not scary. But no, Bly Manor not. breaks your fucking heart. Um same yeah. with Doctor Sleep. He has this way of getting into the core emotional depth of characters, the mm-hmm. horror that is there, but also the deep humanness that mm-hmm. is inherent to every single character, even in a horror-based uh, environment and the the first time he really does this super well is with Ouija Origin of Evil. I think that that's kind of one of my favorite things about him as a director mm-hmm. and also about Bly Manor is that yeah. his ability to express himself yes. and express yes. human nature in horror mm-hmm. is so subtle. Like, yes. it's not flashy. It's not gruesome. No. It's not over the top. It's not like right. Texas Chainsaw. It's not like making a statement like Saw. It's not right. like, it's not flashy. It's no. just so human. But the I appreciate the fact that, like, this is his genre, though. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, 100%. He could, yeah. Like, he could apply his message in just about any genre, to be honest. Right. But the fact that he does it so well in horror, it's unique. It's unique because nobody else, he finds ways of getting under your skin, but under empathy is his superpower, basically. Every single person, entity, spirit whatever monster everything that exists especially in everything post Ouija Origin of Evil because I would say this is the last time he really settles into the I'm going to play with tropes of like this is we're going to have a demon we're going to have an evil thing this Mm -hmm. is going to be very traditional if he made this movie today he would never make it this way he would never have made it as blatantly but um, it was an excellent way to get into pop culture it's very fucking because here okay so let's uh, let's get back to to the movie itself because let's, let's just look at the general structure of this movie because so i was watching it the first time yes before you get into it my favorite thing about this movie is the fact that it is so tropey it's so stereotypical it like so it, is it's a freaking haunted house and a fortune teller like mm-hmm. like okay so there was a movie that i told you about a couple weeks ago or a month ago whatever when we what was it called the the remains same thing. Oh, this, right. You did tell me about that. That's right. This, okay. Same setup. Fortune mm-hmm. teller. Like, it's a thing. Okay. Yeah. But the way he does it is so um, unexpected. Right. And unique. Like, we went, like, I went into this thinking I knew what was going to happen, or at least kind of <laughs> expecting what was going to yeah. happen because it's such a, like, commonly told story. But, mm-hmm. like, to finally see a story told in a new light and do it well is kind of right. rare. Well, what's interesting about this movie, and I clocked it the first time I watched it, and I was watching with Kristen, and I'm like, nothing scary has happened for like the first 30 minutes you start the movie off with so first off you already start this family off this this broken family of a mother and two daughters whose husband has died you already set them up as empathetic 
off the fucking bat because they are people. They are pe- they, these are people that talk to ghosts as a scam trying to help people, but can't help themselves because they know this shit is fake. Like there's an inherent irony to this family where they would want to talk to this person they lost desperately, but can't because they know this is fake, even though they fake it for other people. It's absolutely brilliant. And the opening sequence of this movie where the family shows off their abilities, faking a, a seance is delightful it is endearing as hell you don't feel like these people are shystering anybody because the people that come to them are either people looking for some closure and they're very sweet to them or they're money grubbing you know gold diggers like flanagan's wife who actually is the actress who plays the daughter in the opening scene who is in most of the things flanagan does i didn't realize Uh, that that is his wife yes uh and she is in most of the things flanagan does uh i I need to catch her name because she's fucking fantastic um but uh, but yeah, and it becomes this thing where you already have fallen in love with this family off the fucking bat without question or anything else. And that's before any ghosts show up. I would say that it gives you a very interesting safe space to be able to be open to the story, the actual story. So whereas yeah. like a like traditionally like like I would say like B film horror stories like it's mm. just very like obviously like jump scares or like you're just instantly thrown especially this kind this kind yeah, of horror movie especially yeah. this kind of horror movie you're just kind of instantly thrown into the horror a lot mm-hmm. like how you kind of are in the first Ouija movie as far as right. like, you're here very jump scare heavy yeah, yeah you're here something bad's gonna happen oh shit something bad did happen and then it's just back to back to back to back right so that's what you're expecting so whenever you come into a story and the only way I can describe it, and like honestly, the thing that made me fall in love with storytelling, and the thing that made me fall in love with being an English major and like mm-hmm. film major is like, and you, I don't know if I can describe this correctly, but and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. When you enter, okay. it, when you enter a story that you love, yeah, the feeling that you, that you get when you first enter it, and it feels like a safe place to land. Yes. That you can explore. So, like, yeah. when you're a kid, do you remember reading, like, the C.S. Lewis books or something? Like, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or, like, Harry Potter, or stuff I remember, like that? I remember that as the first time I read Sorcerer's Stone. Okay, so something like that, where you are in the story, and you feel so comfortable that, mm-hmm. like, you're excited to learn more. Right. That's the safe, sp- safe space in storytelling that I think that he is able to achieve with... Ouija 2 and Hill House and Bly Manor and like that kind of stuff where you like even though you know scary stuff is coming like you feel like okay let me level out let me settle down let me get into yeah. this universe so that I can start like weaving my way through and like what? experiencing the world that you are about to show I think the core of that is frankly like you say it's about a comfort but I think that comfort comes from being able to trust an artist mm-hmm. with their abilities. Yeah, and you know, I might be glamorizing it, but like that's kind of how I felt. Like, no, that's that you're absolutely not glamorizing. That is a that is desperately important because I guarantee you, most people making a movie like Ouija Origin, what you think you're making a sequel to a Ouija movie, you know what most people fucking do? They create a cold open that has a scare or two that has maybe a, maybe a, maybe a, a red herring and like you set this kind of whole thing up. And here's the thing. There are some fine movies made that way. Mm-hmm. I can, I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad thing. Is there are quite a few that are, there's nothing wrong with this kind of horror movie. That yeah. is a 
that is, that is a Friday night, Halloween time. Come time and to a, place. You, Madison, God damn it. There's nothing I miss more in this fucking world than being in a packed movie theater watching a good horror movie. Yeah. Okay, one of my favorite times I've ever been in a movie theater was watching Hereditary with Kristen. I've still never seen that. Packed fucking theater. You still haven't seen Hereditary? No, I'm scared Okay, there's, there's a moment at the end where everybody in the audience too. screams all at the same time and me and Kristen are just huddled up next to each other and just... It, it, it's it's a beautiful thing and that's kind of what these movies do that's what they're meant mm-hmm. for they're meant to be there as these kind of catalytic emotional just just echo chambers you can just scream out all your frustrations from the week like taking a fucking drink at the end of the fucking work week <laughs> but it really is but but what flanagan does instead he says okay no i don't have to do that right he knows that he knows the kind of movie you're expecting to walk into well and also what is it immediately what is scarier than your own emotions <laughs> not much what, what flanagan intuitively the understands, human nature is in, <laughs> intrinsically scary what he intuitively understands and he shows off in all of his films is that if you take if you care about the characters before everything else you will care when shits are happening to them you're more yes. invested um and his ways of moving into these kinds of horror scenarios are quite brilliant um have you ever seen the movie hush yes Okay, the part in Hush where so so the Hush is his wife uh, whose name is Kate Siegel who's who's brilliant in most of his shit. She's the lead and she's deaf. She's a deaf author off on her own. And what do you not remember that? That the girl who played that girl is his wife. Yeah, it's his wife. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Oh, to I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his, yeah. She's in that. She's in Hill House. She's in Bly Manor. She's that's in, the first thing I ever watched. I saw Hush, not realizing yeah. it was Mike Flanagan. I didn't either. I remember watching Hush because it was just blown up on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but there's this, but there's this moment early on, the first moment of actual horror in the movie, is she's in the kitchen making tea, and her mm-hmm. neighbor rushes up and starts banging on the fucking window because a man is trying to is murdering her. But she yeah, can't crazy. So she's just doing her thing, Nuts. and she never sees it. She never fucking sees it we see it but she's just going about her fucking day and we're just introduced into it immediately but then you, have, then you have a movie like this where it's like okay it's called ouija fucking two you know goddamn well you ouija think board. you know you think you know what's gonna happen but you know that the ouija board is bad news you know well, for yeah. a fucking fact the ouija board is a fucking bad news so that yeah. the moment you introduce the ouija board into the fucking world you don't actually have to do a scare. Again, he knows what you're expecting. Can you're I expecting- say his setup with the Ouija introduction was genius? Oh, the, yeah. Like the fact that he had an entire sequence. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit rusty, but I would assume that that would be my terminology for this. He had an entire sequence. Right, now, it wasn't just one scene, it was like a sequence because they changed location. It was all yes. in the same house, but they changed location. So it right, was a right, sequence right. of introducing this Ouija board. Yeah. So your expectations are like sky high. Like you were like, okay, this is about to get serious. We're about to see what Ouija 2 is about. And it's a total <laughs> letdown. To the point where like clearly you're glad that nothing actually happened, but like right. you kind of let down. But, but, you, it, but you know and, something's coming. And then you get like gently carried into like mm-hmm. the emotions of the tumultuous family unit which right. is just as important because that, by this point you care and then you get hooked into the facade that they decide to put together with the whole magnet thing right but what's so interesting about it is that like in an in a bad version of this movie somebody going to this ouija board has selfish intentions 
they've got a reason why they're trying to do this. And also in a bad version of this movie, uh, the daughter is getting all this weird Ouija shit going on and nobody notices. She's just doing it on the side. She's doing dumb shit. No, they fucking know. Like they acknowledge that something's happening and this is fucking real. And they just think, oh, I guess this is fucking normal. This is great. This is wonderful. She's a seer. She can see things. They don't know. They won't accept the fact that there's a fucking demon talking to her. Can I just say the scariest parts of this movie are before anyone realizes anything. Oh, yeah. Like. Oh, yeah. Just the pole, just, just, just the, just the one little motif of her, and I know this is from the first movie, but of her oh. looking, of her looking through the planchette, oh, just no, 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 scanning no, no, no. the dark room. I'm just like, oh, j- j- take that away. Take that scanning the away. dark room, but her in the mirror when she first gets possessed. Right. I, I want to literally crawl in a hole <laughs> and die. Like, oh no! If, oh, every so single bad. time. Okay, every single time I watch this, the imagery of her getting possessed by this demon. Oh, it's just, fucked up. It goes into my body. Like mm-hmm. I feel all of the things that you're supposed to feel, and it yeah. hurts. It yeah, it's hurts. not great. It does. Oh, he does such a good job with that, and I, I, it's the setup, the knockdown, the playoff, the the. The imagery, like that little girl was the perfect casting too. Like yes. her mouth and the oof. Well, I what's see amaz- it in my nightmares. <laughs> what's amazing about like this movie? Because also, if you look, if you look into the history of this film, there was a lot of there was a lot more shit in this movie. They cut they cut a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff with like the Nazi doctor and like well, see, and who so is killing like all these so things. Interesting. That, I could see how they would have a lot, but these things that frankly don't matter to the story. I because still, what like you, as a fan, I kind of want to know what it is. I want to know what it is, but in the emotional core of the story, it doesn't fucking matter. Oh, what yeah. matters is little girls being being corrupted by something evil, yeah. and at the end of the day the details are only superfluous. They only matter to a certain extent. Um, so then when you have Mike Flanagan fucking mainstay, who I'm pretty sure has been in the last like eight things Flanagan has done, uh, Henry Thomas, um, who our, our fucking patron St. Henry Thomas, who was, do you know who, do you know who Henry Thomas was? So Henry Thomas was the, character? Uh, the, the priest. Oh yeah. Who was also in, who was also in Gerald's game, who was also in Dr. Sleep, who was and also Hill in Hill House, House, who was also in Bly Manor. Um, he he was the he played Elliot E.T. That was his big. Are fucking you freaking serious? Yeah, that's Elliot. That's Elliot, and that and 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 Mike Flanagan has single fucking handedly made Henry Thomas a icon of horror over the course of like six, five years. I did like not it's know quite that. it's quite impressive. Um, and once you get to okay, I'll spoiler a little bit, but there are some. So in Doctor Sleep. They he's directly referencing The Shining, right? Like the movie The Shining, and because it's about Danny Torrance uh, as an adult, but he doesn't use footage from The Shining, the movie. He reenacts it with actors in actual sets that are precisely like the 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 the, the Kubrick movie. And Henry Thomas plays Jack Torrance, and it is im fucking impressive. The, the the thankless high fucking risk job of having to act the iconic Nicholson role yeah. in this fucking movie. Henry Thomas kills it and, ring, that, and rings out more emotion from this man. 
than Nicholson ever did. It is impressive. It is fucking fantastic. It is there is a scene with him and Danny that is my favorite in the fucking movie. Um, it is straight up father son weepy shit, and it's it is it's just mwah, muy bueno. And also, it's just so good. Um, you can see that no, though. He's really good. He's so good. Like he's really good in Bly, Bly Manor. Fuck me in Bly Manor. Just him. Ooh. That whole. That whole episode was just him and his fucking demon self, like okay, to be fair, with each other. Yeah. Okay. To be fair, him and Ouija too. That Catholic priest did not do him justice. Like he did no. a good job, but like yes. when he was in Bly Manor, I was like, "Yes, he's flexing in Bly Manor." Oh like, yeah, he's like, "This is what I got." <laughs> here's the thing: Ouija, Ouija origin of evil. The thing about that role is it's a thankless role. But a a lesser actor would have felt of it as a thankless role yeah. and not given the warmth of his character to that. That yeah. warmth that he gives, that fatherly just kind of charm that he allows for him to have well, is the reason why when he fucking dies, you feel Yeah, you are super heartbroken about him dying because you're like, wait, no, like he was supposed to like actually make a difference. Well, there's this amazing moment in the end. So like jumping over a lot of stuff, like when you get to the end and they're in the basement and they're trying to save the daughter, he opens up this vent and just sees this dark cavernous thing he's going to. And he looks back at the mother and he's like, I'll bring her back. Like he doesn't expect himself to come back, but he's like, I'm going to get her out of this. And you know that he's accepting the fact that he's probably going to fucking die doing this and he's cool with it. And it's just that, that, that warm empathy core of these characters is really what holds us together. Cause here's the thing. The third act of this movie is kind of all over the place. It's kind of confusing. I couldn't really tell you exactly why some of the shit that happens happens, but it does, and it's fine, because because you have that core that's built up over the course of the story where I care about the characters enough to where I don't really have to know all the fucking details. It feels like um, a roller coaster, honestly. Shit just happens, man. Like, the girl is on the ceiling, and she's 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 murdering people, and she's racing after her sister, and the, and the demon's jumping to well, other people, and there's just a I lot mean, happening. Okay. You know we started Scaredy Cast. Yes. So I have at least seen enough scary movies <laughs> to at least have a pretty good opinion about this. Yeah, I would think so. The moment, and I don't even know where in the like structural act of the movie is, and this yeah. is probably the last act, but from the moment where the boyfriend starts sticking his hand in the wall. Yeah. To the very end of the movie. Yeah. You are completely gripped. And oh, if, it and if goes. you are and yeah. if you are me, you're looking at this through your fingers, just like <laughs> avoiding the screen. Like there's a yeah, there's a from wonderful the time the, the from the time the boyfriend shows up and the little kid, like I forget her name. The little yeah, girl. She's I think she's in I wanna say she's in Hill House too. Um Is she? I think she's one of the daughters in Hill House. I'm gonna look it up. Annabelle. What? Oh no, she was. In, that's right. She was in the other, the other Blumhouse prequel movie that was actually pretty good. She was in the Annabelle, the Annabelle prequel. Oh that no! Was actually, I, oh. I thought that was the neighbor's daughter's name. I'm sorry, Abigail. I'm sorry. No, no, she was. She was in the other. She was in the Annabelle movie. Okay, actually. Well, wow. That, that was way a to good accident, guess. Way to accidentally get that right. <laughs> that's impressive. I, was, I meant to say Abigail, but it came out Annabelle. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Yes. Um, no, okay, so from him sticking his arm in the wall to him being hung, like mm-hmm. his neck snapping, right? to 
the priest dying to them being locked in the the basement to right. her having to kill her mother to her stitching her sister's mouth closed to the possession to the accidental possession to the freaking psych ward at the end like it's not the psych ward the psych like, ward we non-stop. need to talk about oh yeah there's so it much is. to talk about but honestly yeah. the lip the lip sewing oh yeah, yeah. well we well, have to bring that up because that comes back in the first movie Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so here's the thing that two questions I have about the first movie. Cause again, I haven't seen it. Number one, do they establish the rules of what you can't do with the Ouija board about oh. saying, about saying goodbye. Don't play it in a graveyard. Is that all in the first movie? I assume so because I knew that going into it, but I also know those rules anyway. That's just kind of a, a universal rule. What's interesting, but what's interesting about what Flanagan does with that is he allows all those rules to be broken, but in ways you don't expect. Like the fact that they are living on a mass grave, so they are essentially living right. in a graveyard. She, so that's she, what fucks them up. Well, she plays by herself. She plays by herself. She, she does plays they, on a graveyard, well, and she does one, not say goodbye. Well, they there's one time where they get interrupted is the reason why they can't say goodbye. It's not like a choice. It's she just, wasn't just, planning on it anyway. Well, no, I think I think I want to see the she, older she sister. She didn't know like, the rules. I want to see the older sister like takes the board away when they're talking to the dad, quote unquote, dad at one point, yeah. and that's why they don't say goodbye. And well, that's, that's the first the whole, rule that actually gets broken. Well, the whole dad situation is what interferes with logic mm-hmm. and reason to begin with. Mm-hmm. Because true. you you're still hanging on to the like, is this dad? Is it not? Right. Until things go south, and then you're like, right. oh. Yeah, dad is here, but he's not alone, and that's hey. not who's been talking. Also, to the he's girl. not dad; he's something else, well, right? Pretending. The da- to be dad. Well, the dad was there because she helped. Oh, okay. Well, remember the dad was on the bed. The dad is who stitched the doll's mouth shut. Oh, that is so right. You're absolutely correct right. that he did so, do that. So the dad tried to warn them by stitching yeah. the the doll's mouth shut. Right. You know what I love yeah, though? Crazy. You know what I, I just remember this moment in the movie and it's a Henry Thomas centric moment. So when when he goes to her and he's and he goes in front of the Ouija board, he says, "All right, try it out on me. See what happens." And they that was start such testing a good thing. And they start oh. testing it out and 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 the ghost is getting things right. Uh-huh. And then he's on- then he and uh, uh, yeah, and he's like, "What is the last thing my wife said to me?" And then the ghost says and he's like, "Wow, that's really impressive." And then he calls the older sister and the mom and he's like, my wife didn't say that to me, but I thought about that really hard and the ghost caught that. So whatever the fuck is doing this is reading my mind. So it's real because because what's, ama- what's, what's great about this movie is that it skips over the dumb shit that a lesser movie would do where uh-huh. like normally the priest would be like, this is a hoax. I don't believe any of this. You right. guys are all liars and fuckers. You're trying to trick me. So you they have don't to do go that through that out. too. Yeah. Right. He just believes. He's like, I believe. And here's why I believe. But she's not wrong. She is but incorrect. They're still, they're still in the freaking house. Why didn't they leave the house? Because I don't fucking know. They never leave the fucking house. That's no, that's my, a lie. That's my, some biggest beef. House. that's my biggest beef with this movie is that he did, like, knowing all that he knows and all that they have put together at least him and the oldest daughter, they right. still went to the up r- upstairs room and didn't leave the house because clearly everyone can hear you in the house. Yeah, that was a bad move. That was a bad... <laughs> like, I get it because, like, things needed to move along, but also, like... Of course. And, like, I, you built this big set, you gotta use it. Like, IRL, like, that priest should have been like, let's set up a time to talk at school. 
Right. She's been a little sneakier about it. I do love the scene where she causes the bully to shoot a fucking uh, oh, yeah. a slingshot into his own eye. That's, see, that's that where, feels good. That's where I love like uh, complex characters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> where you're yeah. like, you know damn well that that is a demon, but the fact that that demon is like giving it just Fucking up as this good. kid who's a piece of <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Like, I love I, it. Like, I was happy about it. I was like, yeah, take that rock to the face. Okay, so we so the rules. Okay, but okay, so the sewing of the mouth—that's a thing from the first movie. Um, yes, because okay. I assume that the first movie doesn't matter to you. No, please spoil it. I really don't. I, so, I will never watch it. The main part of the first movie that you end up getting to mm-hmm. is that because the first movie is this young girl, like teenager college young college seems like she was in high school if i remember correctly high school yeah young pretty yeah yeah box office catch (laughs) she's a good actress i like her quite a bit i forget what her name is though but that's her role in this yeah yeah, yeah. she's the lead in your mid-budget horror movie yes so she ends up accidentally committing suicide oh oh i'm so sorry different different character okay yeah so the blonde i think she's blonde I think, yeah, the blonde, yeah, whoever the blonde. Yeah. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. like the older sister in the right, house, blonde. Right, right, right. She's by herself. Her parents are away and like her friends are concerned, but not yeah. too concerned. Honestly, I don't remember that well, but I do remember that like she, she hangs herself. Yes, the, yes. And she dies the same way that the boyfriend dies. Where oh, just, that's like, interesting. In the You're same, right. She dies in the same place, hangs the yeah. same way. Good point. And the whole movie is them trying to figure out what happened to her. Right. So the whole movie, you end up finding out about the Ouija board because it's in the attic. Right. Blah, blah, blah. One thing leads to another. The girl who's trying to figure out the, what happened to her, which is the best friend, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. Olivia Cook is the actress. Yeah. She's the actress I'm, I was saying that I like quite a bit. She's okay. in the one. Yeah, she's the lead, but not the one who initially died and started right 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 right. right. so she is the one who goes to so she tracks down all the information about the house so she finds out uh the sister who survives the second movie i forget her name the one yeah yeah yeah, i know you're talking about okay she's in the psychiatric unit which you see at the end right so that's the same old woman that you see in the first movie played by lynn shea i believe Yes. So, so the the young girl who's trying to solve what happened goes to the psychiatric ward to visit who the not the sister who died but the other sister the older sister right, right. she's like oh you used to live here you were part of that thing that went down and mm-hmm. you're in the psychiatric ward like talk to me because I'm yeah. trying to figure out what happened right. but she doesn't talk she's nonverbal so mm-hmm. she's trying to so eventually the sister says. She communicates somehow that you need to cut the mouth open. Right. So she describes to this to that girl that she needs to go in the basement and and un like there's a body in the basement. You have to take like undo the stitching. Ugh. Because she said that that is what. Uh huh. <laughs> but you end up finding out that the demon is still inside the older sister. Yeah, I had a feeling. I had a bad right. feeling. So the demon is telling her to unsnip it because that will let the demon loose. That makes sense. But the demon tricked her into unsnipping it and releasing it. So right. the whole first sense. so the whole first movie is just like how the demon got loose the second time. 
Right, right. Okay, so, so that... Yeah, that's why it's not as interesting because it's just right. like, yeah, the demon already exists and it's already been <laughs> defeated, but then they snip the mouth open and bam, it's back. E back. E so back. The, so the prequel is just naturally more effective because yeah, it's, it's the a, backstory. It's essentially the first movie and then the, se- the sequel is the first movie. Like, yeah. it's weird. Like, it's weird. So it should it should have been reversed. So... We need to talk about the coda last scenes in this movie, uh, which were the ones that like. <laughs> there's just there's something about people crawling along ceilings really oh, fast. Sweet Jesus, I don't know just, what it is, but it hurts. It's something about. And I think there's something elemental and, and animalistic about the fear of something that is running after you that is that you can't stop. It also um, is related to whatever the hell it is that makes me scared of little children's mouths opening up really wide. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that and creepy smiles, dude. That and creepy. There's a creepy. Like, there's a creepy smile in this movie where she, where the, when the boyfriend's yeah. reaching into the fucking thing, she's just out of, behind him in soft focus, just creepily smiling, <laughs> just like Bleh. Yeah, But yeah, okay. no, the end. So so when people ahead. when people's mouths unhinge from their jaw. Yeah. That's not, the scariest not, thing ever to me. Like I it's cannot weird. explain it. Yeah. That's my biggest fear is like yeah. the possession movies where their mouths just un Right. I can't right. do it. It's See what me. what I can't do is when and it, it ties back to a scaredy cast movie we watched when in we watched Insidious. Uh I can't handle or at least I used to not be able to handle creepy smiling. When things that shouldn't be smiling yeah. are smiling, it's when connected they, to that. Yeah, it is. They're both connected. It's like something's like something is. It's it's the idea that something is off, just a well, little bit off. Something is wrong, well, but it's not yeah. enough wrong. It's pretending to be okay, but we know it's wrong. Well, like that. that that's, that's the deeply scariest thing. That is the scariest thing to us. Is that? Yes. And I learned that in my horror film class in school. You, I'm so fucking jealous of you. You would have loved it. Like, I fucking loved it. Also, it was a cakewalk. Like, that professor did not care. She was just <laughs> like, if you show up and do the assignments, like, we're cool. She was very old and just was a total hippie and loved horror movies. So oh, if you showed God up and watched it. the movie, she was fine. I missed that. Um, God anyway, damn. so, but I wrote a horror film. I don't know if you ever read it, but I wrote a horror film for that class. Like You wrote a horror film? Yeah. I, was actually, I never read that. I was actually pretty proud of it, too. It was about a haunted house. It was like a mother. Yeah, you did. It was like a mother hen spirit that trapped the kids no. in the house. Dude, you never showed this to me. Yeah, it was a haunted house movie. Yeah. And it was about a mother hen spirit, how she didn't okay. want her children to leave the house. So like, right, this, right, the people right. who came to the house got trapped in the house because it was a mother hen spirit who didn't That's want her awesome. babies to leave. Oh, I love that. Was it, it was it was a short or well, of course it's me and I never wrote a whole lot, but it was a movie. <laughs> Dude, that's fucking fantastic. I wanted I wanna know what that was. I, I want st- you to do I still have it. I just gotta track it down. That I'll is, send it to you. That's if, brilliant. I love you, that. If you want the intellectual property, you can fucking have it. Oh, stop it. No, we'll write it's it. A, no, but it's a good idea. You should take it. If something sparks interest, take it, because it was a good idea. I just don't I'm not doing anything with it. But it was for that horror film class and she was a total hippie. It was just good like idea. loved horror films and like loved feminism. So it was all about Hell that. yeah. That's a great that's a great combo. A great combo. Um, it really is. Uh, but she but was yes. talking about that with the the smiles and the, like the mouths. Right. She was talking about how the scariest things for humans in like instinctually is to yeah. see yourself in a way that is unnatural. 
That is interesting. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Because it's a biological fear. Yeah. Like it's, it's, de- in it's your deeply de- ingrained. Right. Yeah. It's, it's something that you have not been taught. It's right. not it's not a social thing. Like yeah. like with the vampire or like stuff like that. Like you're not You'll learn what those are. Right. Yeah. You you socially can understand those aspects. Right. Like you can say, Okay, I understand the concept of a cultural other. But sure. to see something that is you mm-hmm. in a biological difference that like right. is totally something that like it's just in your DNA to be the opposite. Right. That is just like in your DNA to be scary. Well, what's interesting is, and, and this is totally off the reservation, but it ties into, we're talking about horror and what scares you. There's something to be said about like, um, okay, so uh, abduction scenarios, alien abduction, stories that come from that kind of thing. A lot of times people will describe something called high strangeness, which is basically shit that's happening that makes no fucking sense, even on a scientific level. Like things that are like, 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 like objects that couldn't possibly be there operating in ways they couldn't possibly operate. And the theory is that either a, that's, you know, alien shit, B it's hallucinations or C it is something that our brains cannot actually comprehend. So we create an idea of what it is as close to reality as we can fucking make it without our brains exploding, Um, which is so fascinating. That is my deepest fear. My deepest fear is losing my mind. Of like something snapping and I lose my sense of reality and so, honestly I'm gonna get fucking Alzheimer's when I'm 82 and like it'll be the worst fucking thing ever. But like that truly is my deepest fear is like losing who I am as myself and losing yeah. my sense of reality. And that to me is where that the, the creepy smiles and 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 the, and the mouth mm-hmm. stuff and all that shit. That's where that deep fear comes in. And it's exactly what you're fucking talking about. It's a deep mm-hmm. human biological bone deep fear of something overtaking your idea of what a person is or what you are exactly and it's really upsetting it's it's kind of connected to the zombie trope but not really because the zombie trope is all about death whereas what we're talking about is more like what it means to be a person right because because i never see zombies as being the people they were they're just they're just vessels they're just physical fucking shells well and it's it's a future thing it's like a you're scared of what death is or the afterlife because you're scared of what that means so right, it's all I, it's all future projection that kind of yeah stuff. but the idea of possession, well, possession of losing control of being possession I, I, control like seeing I mean, yourself in a way that is unnatural i mean there's a reason why the the sunken place and get out is so affecting yeah the idea of sitting in this thing and watching yourself be performed like a puppet by another thing that is inside of you but is not you is fucking terrifying there's something Um, there's something about our bodies that when we see it either performed on purpose differently as far as possession or control like get out or you know even just a creepy smile like there's something in our dna like i keep saying like that just like it's a red flag it's like something pretending to be human. Terrifying. But you know it's not. And we don't have the ability so to understand that. So freaking scary. It's like the fucking, it's like the fucking uh, crab crawl in uh-huh. The Exorcist. It's like there's a reason why. Because here's the thing. What's funny about that is that the crawl itself is actually not that scary. Yeah. It's a little bit wonky. There's a reason why it got cut from The Exorcist. But the idea of it, just imagining mm-hmm. somebody doing that. Well, like 
He's like enough this movie. to send my skin crawling. Well, especially the fact that that was the last thing that you see in Ouija 2 is that like <gasps> jump scare. Dude, that, that's honestly, a that's an amazing jump scare. It's really good. I'm really torn about it too. Like, it's obviously really effective, but I don't know if I agree with it. Does that make me a horrible person? What do you mean if you agree with it? Because it doesn't fit with the narrative. Like, um, yeah. Okay, here's my thing. And I talked about this with Erica for like a freaking hour. And she was like, she was like, what does it matter? It's still good. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But like, what does it mean? And I even tried to Google it. I was like, ending scene of Ouija 2, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Psychiatric ward scene, Ouija 2. Nobody could give me dialogue on this. And I am frustrated by it. So from what I read, that was a reshot ending. They had an original ending that didn't work. And so they went back and they reshot this ending with her. Something, some reason, her biting her finger to get blood so she can make a Ouija board is just like yeah. The um, ending is fine. It's literally just the end where you see her crawling on the roof. That is the part that I don't understand. Well, because here's the thing: I also think that is the most of this kind of movie thing that actually happens in this movie is that ending of that last yeah. jump scare because because there's actually been a it, thing it recently. Fit. It doesn't, but also that is frankly of the time because at that time, these kinds of like movies were like we talked about earlier. These are Friday night jump scare scream movies. It's effective. They're supposed to, they're supposed to leave you getting out of the theater and just like scream and like you're laughing as the credits are rolling. Um, It's very similar to, I think it's, this is a better version of, because there's a whole thing that came around Twitter recently about like the quote unquote scariest movies of all time. The things that got your heart pumping the most, things that actually affect you most. And the, the scientific consensus of the study was that Sinister is the scariest movie of all time based off heart rate and based that, off yeah. jump scares. And I don't think it's wrong. Like, like I remember watching Sinister with, with it's if you watch it with a group of people, it's it's a very jump scary, very tensiony movie. It's very good. But there's a very cheap jump scare at the very end. Much cheaper than this one. This one I think is fairly clever. Because because instead of it being a true jump scare where you're like cutting against shit, the, the jump scare at the end of this movie is you're going from the a window of the little of the sister in the, in the fucking room. And then you cut and you move back to the doctor in one clean shot. And then you tilt over to down the hallway. And then you just see the fucking little girl just sprinting on the ceiling over to the fucking doctor and get him. And then you cut to black and it like, I get it. Okay. I get it. It's effective. It's terrifying. I do understand it in theory. And I don't think that it was a bad decision. Clearly, right. I am not a filmmaker. I'm not going to tell Mike Flanagan how to you do his freaking job. You are a filmmaker. Stop it. But I will say, I think I am just too invested in the story and the theory. That's the to thing. The, to the point where I actually care if it's accurate. <laughs> I'm over here I, like, I, fair, I'm over fair. here like, okay, so the demon is here. The demon is also here. And then now he's here. <laughs> Like I'm over here actually caring. I'm like, okay, so where is it all at now? What is you're it doing mean? the math? You're drawing diagrams. Yeah, like, you're creating am, a Charlie Day like conspiracy <laughs> like board. I am in the universe trying to figure out what this means and what it means for the future. Right. I and love it just, that. It doesn't add up. It doesn't. No, it's there because for the scare. because the That's demon. All it's there for. Because especially with this being the prequel, it also it means okay if the jump scare is accurate. Right in its assumption that yes. the demon is literally on the roof. Then you're, what, then why the, yeah, you're telling me that this one demon is in the room with her as the sister in the psychiatric hospital on the roof, scaring the doctor. 
right whether the doctor sees it or not scaring the audience so that's three yeah but it's also in the basement still because you have to go back slash forward in time to release the demon how many demons are there so that's, I have it. that's where my theory, like my fan theory, I'm like, okay, I need more. I need a I have a sneaking suspicion that by the time they got to the end of making this movie, they it looked at the critical <laughs> they looked at the critical response to Ouija and they're like, uh, we can do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. Don't about Ouija. Yeah, this is clearly already better. Let's just have one last jump scare. Like, let's I just have it. a yeah, let's just have like it. one good jump scare. Because I mean it's effective. It was good. It's a good fucking jump scare. It's excellent. It's it's because it's I be- I pee myself every time. It's not I, it's not a cheap jump scare. No, it is a good, well a crafted good jump scare. But um, because they created a fan in me, yeah. oh my god! I want the full discourse on this whole story. Madison, you're gonna have to write that discourse. And Apparently, I will support it. Well, I googled it and I can't find anything. Fascinating, fascinating. So yeah, okay, I well, care too much about Ouija too. <laughs> I, hey man, only a filmmaker of Mike Flanagan's uh, prowess can get that level of mm-hmm. affection for a film such as this. Uh, also, to give props for their due, uh, this movie was co-written by Jeff Howard, uh, who is a longtime producer and co-writer on certain things with Mike Flanagan. Uh, but this is very much a Mike Flanagan movie. It has his DNA all fucking over it. Uh, we are big fans of his, and I still have to finish Bly Manor. I got one episode left. Oh, please um, watch it. I know Kristen doesn't want to watch it because she doesn't want to cry. So we keep like putting it off because we know it's going to be like really like a fucking wrecked wrecking ball, but we're going to get there. We promise. Um, I, I only cried a little bit. <laughs> that makes it any better. I cried at several episodes of that fucking, that fucking season so far. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so end of the day, I don't think there is a person doing more interesting shit and in horror than Mike Flanagan. I'm this excited is where, to see what happens next. Do you know if he has any plans? He has in the a, ser- a new series called Midnight Mass that I think is going to Netflix um, that he's filming now. Uh, so he has more stuff coming. I love his long format stuff, but I wish I hope he keeps going back to movies because like Doctor Sleep did not get nearly as much love as it should have from audiences. Critics loved it as they should. Film people fucking loved it as they should, but it just didn't make a lot there, of money. I think there was something going on culturally at that time, and I don't know what it was. Probably because little, I, I also really wanted to see it, but I didn't. Probably a little bit of Stephen King overload, and also the fact that Doctor Sleep is a terrible title for that story. I guess so. I mean, you know, man, my ability to actually go see movies is pretty slim. Like, I don't really go see movies unless it really catches my attention. Yeah. And I almost went to see that movie, which speaks volumes. Mads, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's on HBO Max. Please go. Which I don't have. Oh, my God. I had HBO for, like, five years, and then because of their whole deal with Roku and Amazon, it totally screwed me over. Mads, I had I, to cancel I, my HBO after five years because they did not have a deal. Okay, so I own it. It locked Prime. me out. I also own it on Prime, so you can log into my <laughs> Prime and watch it. <laughs> I bought re- this fucking movie. Well, do they have it for rent? They do, but no, fuck, fuck that. No, you, if you're gonna watch, if you're gonna watch, tell me. I will give you my login. You watch it for fucking free on my fucking Prime account, okay? Anyway, so let's wrap this up, Mads. Okay. Mike Flanagan's a fucking baller. He really is the the best at what he's doing right now. And and honestly, Halloween time has kind of been just stamped by him over the course of Hill House and now Bly Manor. I, I I'm I super really, excited about it because I think it. I am too. I think the genre needed it. 
It did. It needed, honestly, and we talked about this before, and, and, and this is the thing about horror. It ebbs and flows with the times. It ebbs and flows with what culture is doing more than any other genre. And right now, the thing that resonates with people is fucking empathy. You know why? Because yeah. our fucking world doesn't have enough of that. So right now, empathetic horror is what's in. I love it. I want fucking more of it. It's and effective. I, it's really effective, and I hope that continues. Um, all right, Mads. <sighs> we did it. We got there. Mm-hmm. And I think we are good for this week. Thank you for this pick. It was a wonderful pick. Thank I really you. am so glad you gave me an excuse to watch this movie. I've been meaning to for years. I can't believe you hadn't. It's just, it's just slipped on my radar. It's just slipped on my radar. All right, Mads, until next time, it's page break for this week. I'm Jeremy. And I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also mad. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. See you next time. Bye.